Please do take your seats. Well, as I said, we are um, beginning this morning um, to look through John's gospel, John's account of the life of Jesus. Um, let us, let's pray and ask for his help as we look at the passage that was read for us. Lord, you are our salvation and you have communicated your salvation to us through the scriptures, through the Bible. And we pray as we look at this passage that you would be the one who teaches us and helps us and not just to understand, but to receive the truth uh, that you want for us today. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so this morning, what is it that you are living for? What, what, what is it that grips you and holds you? Uh, I think questions like that can be a bit baffling at times, a bit hard to kind of, kind of ground and, and wrestle with. Sometimes we need a bit of clarity. Or there was a guy called Addison Leach uh, who uh, preached a message once. And uh, in, in the message, there was a challenge about being a missionary. There were two young ladies in the, in the service. They heard this challenge. They, they received it. They decided they wanted to give their lives to missionary service and went and told their parents. Their parents were not happy about this. They were very angry, angry with Addison Leach. And they went and told him so. Told him that he'd been filling their minds with religious uh, fanaticism. Uh, and they, they went and they said to him, they said, you know, there is no security in being a missionary. The pay is low. The living situation may be dangerous. We've tried to talk to our daughters and they won't listen. What they need is they need to get a job and a career, maybe get a master's degree or something like that. So they have some security before they go off and do this missionary thing. And maybe some of us feel something of that parental concern expressed in that. And it could be that the, 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 those same kind of issues work out in our own lives, things that we wrestle with. There are kind of securities that we think we have to have in place. We have to have these certain things. Well, this is what Addison Leach told those anxious parents. He said, you want them to have security. We are all on a little ball of rock called Earth, and we're spinning through space at millions of miles an hour. And someday a trap door is going to open under every single one of us and we will fall through it. And either there will be millions and millions of miles of nothing or else there will be the everlasting arms of God. And you want them to get a master's degree to give them a little security. Now, our existence is fragile, isn't it? So fragile. And John, who wrote this gospel, he knows about how fragile life can be. So he writes this book with a very specific purpose. Uh, at the end, he says, he says, there's so many other things I could have told you about Jesus, but I've chosen these things, chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What John is saying is saying to everybody who reads his book that he's written about the life of Jesus, he's saying, I want you to get Jesus. That's what I want. I want you to receive Jesus. In, in this messed up and broken and maddening and saddening and dark world, I want you to have Jesus. So that's why he writes. I want you to get Jesus because that's the only way to have life. The only way to be held in the everlasting arms is to have Jesus. So as we start looking at John's gospel, let me ask you, have you got Jesus? Have you received him? 
what does it even mean to receive Jesus? Well, it's good we're looking at John because he's going to tell us all about what that means. We're going to follow uh, with John and, and let John lead us through um, his, his book, his, his telling of the life of Jesus. And uh, John begins with this, this colossal opener that Hillary read for us. Uh, John chapter 1 verses 1 to 18. This is, John doesn't ease us in gently. He cranks up the volume and he just lets rip in this opener. Uh, he gives 18 verses, this great statement. And then I think he spends 21 chapters explaining what they mean. There is so much packed into these 18 verses. But I, I think what John does here in these first 18 verses, he tells about the coming of God, who he calls the word, the coming of God to bring indestructible life. And, and, and I think what he does, he tells this from three different angles. It's like if you were to take um, a picture of a great big mountain, you could take it from three different sides. We take it from lots of sides, but if you took it from three different sides, you give three perspectives on the same thing. I think that's what, what John does here. Three pictures on the coming of God to bring indestructible life. Uh, the, the first one, verses one to five, he tells about how the word comes and light wins. The word comes and light wins. Then, then he takes a second picture, verses six to 13, and he tells the word comes and life is birthed. The word comes and life is birthed. And then the, the final picture, verses 14 to 18, we're not going to get there this week. He tells us again, the, the word comes, and that means love is here. The word comes, and that means love is here. And so let's follow with John. Now the first one, first picture, verses 1 to 5, the word comes and light wins. We're, we're going to track with John here. So you ready? You with me? Really help you to look at the text if you've got it in front of you. John begins, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. This is huge. This is so big. It really is. This is, this is massive. Now, let, 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 let's be really clear. As we go into this passage, um, we are not going to understand this. If we get to the end of it and you think, yeah, I've got all that. I've understood it all. You've missed something pretty big. Um, we're not really aiming at understanding this, but just because we won't understand it doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. A couple of weeks ago, we were in France and I went into this um, super posh patisserie. I went in, I didn't let my children come in, it was too posh for that. Um, and it was exquisite, this kind of array of all these, these gorgeous things presented. And I selected the one I wanted. It had some French name to do with Mount Blanc and I, I bought it. Um, might have to remortgage my house now, but... Um, and, and I took it out, and it, it had a kind of a kind of biscuity pastry pastry type base. It had this kind of frangipan thing, I think, in the middle, and then this kind of combination of mousses on top, and it was exquisite. The detail was just absolutely precision. I have no idea how they made it. I'd love to have been able to have a conversation. That's what I really wanted to ask. How did you do that? But I have no understanding how this thing came into being. But that did not inhibit my enjoyment as I shoved it into my face. You don't need to understand something to be able to enjoy it, do you? Um, and that's what we have here. John begins, he tells us about the word. What does he tell us about the word? Well, in verse one, he has three verbs about existing. He tells us how the word exists. The first thing, the word was in the beginning. He does not say the word began. He's saying when everything else began, there was the word. When there was nothing that has a beginning, when there were only things without a beginning, like God, when there was only God, there is the word. We've got to stretch our minds right back to the beginning of all things and see the word 
exists. He always, he just is. The word is. And then John says, and the word was with God. So some distinction between the word and God. And this word with has a sense of kind of with towards. It's a kind of face to face kind of with. We're to think that when there was nothing else, God and the word are there in this closest of relationship. And then John says, we're still in verse one. The word was God. He exists being God. Everything that we know about God, everything we read in the Bible about God, that is true of the word. And if we're thinking, then our minds just begin to fall over at this point. It's like if you played a game of twisty, you know, twisty, you put your hand on the red square, your foot on the yellow square, then your other hand on a blue square, and you keep on going until eventually you fall over. You're trying to hold too many points of contact and you fall over, yeah? That's what happens here. John gives us these points of contact, and if we're holding them, we fall over. We say, John, you said the word was God, but you've just told us the word was with God. John says, yes, that's right. Yeah, the word was with God. But, but, but John, the word, the word is God? Yes, yes, says John, that's right. The word is God. The word was with God and is God. They're not identical, but they are one. You with me? No, that's the point. There we go. Um, he, he fixes our attention, sums it up in verse two, pulls up these things. He, the word, was with God in the beginning. This first picture is John takes this picture of God coming to bring indestructible life. He, he sets up, this is the word's existence. And then in verse three, we begin to see the word's action, his, his moving, his coming. Uh, from three verbs of existing in verse one, we come to three verbs in verse three of coming to exist, of being made. And we see through him, verse 3, all things were made. Now, if we didn't get that the first time, he tells us it in the kind of negative in the next bit. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. All that has ever or will ever come into existence, everything with a beginning has a cause, and the cause is the word. Now, we, we know, don't we, that if somebody makes something, it reveals a bit of what they're like. That's true, isn't it? And um, Tash has written a book, um, and that book that she's produced shows something of what she is like. It shows her abilities, her creativity, her capacity, her personality. We, we learn a lot about someone from what they produce. So what do we learn about this word from what he produces? Through him, all things were made. Now, the extent of all things, the vast, vast scope of the universe, beyond all of our searching out, came to existence through the word. And the beauty of it, the beauty of the natural world, the, the, from the constellations of the night sky down to the, the, the details in a daisy's petal, the vistas that take our breath away, light that dazzles and delights, all came to existence through him. Now, whenever you've, you've seen something amazing and you've gone, wow, if you direct it properly, that goes to him. He did it. And the astonishing working of it, the, the way it all, all works from biological interdependence down to subatomic chaos, he imagined all of that. He thought it all up. It all comes from him. And, and the, the vantage point that we have is, is limited, isn't it? We know so little about the world and, and actually, what we, what we know about the world, we tend to think about the material world. But he made all things, powers and thrones and spiritual dimensions that we've, we've barely heard a whisper of. All of it, every part of it. 
It all came to existence through him. Verse 4. In him was life. He doesn't get his life from anywhere else. He doesn't need to be charged up like your phone. He's got the power source within him. It belongs to him. In him is life. He doesn't depend. He has it within himself. And that life was the light of all mankind. His, his life is communicated, shines out. He's the, the source of it, but he, he shines out this life power to all people. And, and then this first picture in verse 5 kind of concludes by telling us about a conflict and an ending. Uh, the conflict. Uh, John says, the light shines in the darkness, a conflict of light and dark. And, and at this point, the beginning of verse 5, we rush forward from the beginning of everything. We come forward from creation into the world as we know it. The world as John knew it. Now, the life of the word, the, the life of the word is the light. If you take the light away, there is no life. Disconnection from the word. John, John tells about this conflict, a presence of darkness with the light. And, and then without pausing for a breath, he jumps forward from the now to the forever. Just in one single moment, he goes, goes right forward to the end. He says, from this conflict between light and dark, I want to tell you straight away who wins. What, what's the end of it? What's the outcome of all of it? This is it. The darkness has not overcome it. This light has such indestructible power. It can't be swallowed up. The light is going to win. The light that is the life of all people will win. There will be eternal life. This first picture puts the, the coming of the word into a kind of stratospheric perspective. It goes so, so high. Uh, we look for the whole story from eternity to eternity, from beginning to the eternal end. And the scope is big and it is to stretch and to pull our minds. And, and, and I think the reason for it is this. I think the reason John wants to hit us so hard is that we know the darkness. John's going to help us to understand it more, but we know the darkness, the darkness within and the darkness around us. We, we know that the darkness can just feel inevitable, inescapable. So John hits us hard. He bashes our understanding, tries to smash through our hopelessness to tell us there is a light that darkness cannot overcome there is a light that will not stop shining it doesn't it, it doesn't matter how how great the darkness feels or how suffocated we feel by or how much it seems to define what we are the light shines and the darkness does not and will not and shall not ever overcome it i wonder if we if we flip between two illusions on on the one hand we we, we kind of grasp for this illusion that our darkness is light. That, that is, we, we, we kind of persuade ourselves that we're okay, really. We're not too bad. We do some good things. And just as long as we can kind of get our little securities in place, whatever the thing is that we're just trying to get in place, as long as we can get that, get our master's degrees or get our savings or have our career just in the right position or, or, or our, our retirement plan sorted out or, or we get to settle our children or we, we, we build a home that kind of impresses our neighbors. As long as we, as long as we get this little thing in place, then, then we'll be all right. We grasp an illusion that there's not darkness to deal with. 
But, but I think on the other hand, we, we grasp for, for, for this other illusion. We don't grasp for it, but we get hit by it. We, we despair under the illusion that our darkness is final and hopeless. We, 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 we grasp this, this thing. that this, this, we, we get crushed under the idea that nothing will change and, and that we are never going to change. And, and in the end, all that will happen is the lights get turned off and that's it. We flip between these illusions of a false security and a despair. And they are both illusions. And the deeper reality that John hits us with is the reality of God and God's coming to shine light indestructibly. And verse 5 says the winner is light and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now this first picture, I think, raises a whole load of questions for us. And maybe some of the questions it raises for you, you want to jot down. And maybe questions like, like what actually is this light and life? We get a, a sense of it, but, but what does it actually mean? And the darkness and, and this conflict between light and darkness, how is it going to get sorted out? But, but maybe the most personal question is, for whom? Now, the light wins, but wins for whom? I think the most personal question is, will my end be with the light or the dark? So we come to the second, the second picture, verses 6 to 13, that the word comes and life is birthed. John's second kind of snapshot of this great mountain subject. At this time, he, though he, he attaches a kind of zoom lens onto his camera and he zooms in onto verse 5 and then he opens it up. Verses 6 to 13, open up verse 5 for us. Uh, Verse 5 begins by saying the light shines in the darkness. It's a bit of a teaser, isn't it? Verses 6 to 11 unpacks what the light shines in the darkness is. The the backdrop to the second picture is the darkness. The backdrop to this picture is, is, is a world that has been long covered by shadow. It's the world that Isaiah the prophet many years before this had written about. He spoke of people walking in darkness, those living in the land of death's shadow, the world that we know, and our eyes get so accustomed to the gloom of it. And yet above and beyond, God moves in to bring indestructible life. Isaiah foresaw it. Those who walked in darkness, he said, they've seen a great light. Those living in the land of death's shadow, on them light has dawned. And then Isaiah explains what that means. He says there will be great joy a joy inexpressible, the, the, the crush of oppression will be, will be removed. Uh, th- there'll be this king who will rule forever and it will be peace everywhere. And then he goes on to say, and then there'll be this moment when God comes and he wipes away the tears from every eye and death itself is going to get swallowed up. But we get ahead of ourselves. Verse 6, the action in verse 6 is God's action. This is what God does. A man sent from God. God interrupts the darkness. Uh, a man named John, not the writer of the book, uh, but coming as a witness to the light. And as we go on, we'll see his witness. A witness to the light so that through him all might believe. The light shines in the darkness and all are called to come. Verse 9, the true light, the word comes into the world. Verse 10 reminds us the world was made through him. He comes into the world, the world that he had made, the one who caused every part of it, enters into what he has made. The one who is one with God and is God comes into creation. And the purpose of his coming is so that the true light can give light to everyone. 
Light shines in the darkness. God comes. The word enters the world to shine the light that is life. And the point here is that the light gives light to each person. It shines out to all people without distinction, without exception. It shines to all people regardless of, uh, of their, their past or their presence, regardless of how buried they are in the dark, regardless of how they've performed, regardless of how old they are or young they are or their, or their gender or their race or their situation in life. The light shines out. The light gives light to all. The light comes to make the light near. The light comes so that life within, is within reach of all people. But the darkness is deep. And verse 10 and 11 tell how the light is received. Verse 10 says the world did not recognize him. The world made through him. He wasn't a stranger to the world, but the world has become estranged. See, in, in the darkness, people get blinded. They, that they can't recognize what is light. Verse 11 pushes it a bit harder. He came to that which was his own. He made the world. The world belongs to him. It's his world. He's the only one who has right of ownership. And when he turns up, his own did not receive him. Not just being blind to him, but choosing to refuse him. The light shines and the darkness resists. Isn't that what, we, what, what all of us know in our own lives? No, we, we struggle to recognize our maker and we refuse him. Now, I guess all of us know times when we're just not that interested in the things of God. We just don't really care. Anything to do with God just seems nonsense. We don't recognize our maker. Maybe that's what you think right now. And I think for all of us, we know times when we, when we don't think we need the light. We think we can manage our lives by ourselves. Just as long as we get those little securities in place, we don't need to receive the light. In fact, we don't really want to because if we receive the light, it's going to show us what we're like. It's going to show others perhaps what we're like. It might mean that we have to change and we don't want to change. We want to keep, we want to keep ourselves as we are. We want to keep within the safety of our own little, our own little huddle and, and we want to manage things. We want to go our own way. We want to do it ourselves. The light shines. And the darkness resists. The world does not recognize him. What belongs to him by right rejects him in rebellion. But the story doesn't end with the tragedy of rejection. This second snapshot, verses 6 to 13, the, the, the coming of God to bring indestructible light, zooming in onto the detail of verse 5. The second part of verse 5 says, the darkness has not overcome it. And verses 12 to 13 unpack the darkness has not overcome it. We just look really carefully at verses 12 and 13. There is immeasurable treasure here. Now we're broken, aren't we? Born broken. And my parents have this um, dishwasher. They've had it for years and years and it was broken held together by brown sticky tape all the buttons had fallen off there was a real knack to opening it I was never allowed to touch it because whenever I touched it it fell apart and but I went there the other week and it had gone it had gone it had gone they'd got a new one it had it'd done its time and it reached its end and it didn't work and there's always a point when stuff gets so broken it just has to be thrown away but isn't that what happens to people a bit brutal isn't it but eventually we're all going to stop working our bodies will wear out. There will come a point when we can't get fixed again. And then all that can be done is to carefully 
dispose of our carcasses. We are born to that end. Darkness, the shadow of death yawns over every living moment. And there's darkness within, isn't there? The bad stuff that just rots away. We can't do anything to help ourselves. That's the real gloom of it, that we are broken, we're running out, and we can't fix it. The verses 12 and 13 tell us how the lights can get turned on. They tell us how we can belong to the eternal light, that the darkness will never overcome. It tells us how we can have confidence that finally we will rest in the everlasting arms. Now look at what the word does in verses 12 and 13. Look at, look at how, how it describes how the word loves, because this is, this is love here. This is a staggering offer of love, love held out to all of us. What the word does here in this description is that the word gives himself to you. You see what it says? Yet to all who did receive him. To all who did. That's as many as. Whoever all can receive him. He offers himself to everyone. He offers himself to you. He doesn't ask you to do anything first. Just come so you can have him. To all who did receive him, John explains to those who believed in his name. His name is it. To say to all who believed in everything that he is. Everything that he is, as John has just told us, as the eternal word who is indescribably great, who is one with God, who is the true God, who has life in himself and shines that light out to all who will receive. The word who came into the world to give indestructible life. To believe in his name is to receive him. And if someone has him, What does it mean for them? Well, John explains. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, to have the word means that you get what you cannot do for yourself. You get what cannot be done by human effort. You can't fix yourself. No one can fix you. There's no government policy or or self-help book or, or, or religion that can help you. No trying harder. By human effort, you cannot get what you most need. But when you have him, he gives you the right. He gives you new birth. He gives you total transformation from the dark into the light. He gives you a transformation from being outside into the family of God and to be held in the love and the care of God as dearly treasured children forever and ever and ever. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 12 answers the question for whom? It answers the question, will my end be with the dark or with the light? And verse 12 says, the darkness does not win for all who receive the true light. The word gives himself to all who will have him. To have him is to have light and life is to have new birth into indestructible life. So I ask again, like I asked at the beginning, have you got him? Have you received him? Do you believe in his name? Maybe you don't want to. Happy to go alone. Maybe you do want to have him. You want to belong to the light, but you're not, you're not sure how to do that. Well, if that's the case, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. It could be, though, that you have received him. You do believe in his name. You're a Christian. 
And, and yet sometimes believing is a bit gloomy. It's like kind of car insurance. You're glad you've got it, but you don't want to use it. And sometimes maybe being a Christian, it's not that much, much more than just a label for you. And the things that really grip and hold you, it's, it's really pretty similar to those who don't believe in Jesus. And, and the things that worry and concern you and the securities you're building up, it's really just the same as everyone else. Verse 12 says to believe is to receive him. When, when, we, when we believe, when we have faith, it's not a kind of menu where you pick out the bits that you like. When you believe, you have him. And you have him as he is. We don't get to write the script of what he's like. He is the word. He's there in the beginning with God and is God. He's the maker of all. The life and the light. The one who comes in love to rescue us from all darkness. And, and to make the undeserving and the unworthy into, uh, unworthy into the children of the living God. When we believe, our faith is that we get him. We get all of him as he is. He gives himself to be yours. And to receive him, you have him as he is. But the one who is more and most, who is more wonderful, more brilliant, more astonishing than anything else we can possibly think up or imagine. To have him is to have what matters most, to have what is most wonderful, what is most adorable. To have him is to adore him. And if we don't adore him, it's maybe because we don't know him very well. Or we've forgotten Maybe it's the darkness that presses back and we lose sight. Don't quite recognize him. Maybe in part we refuse him still. What are you living for? Remember Addison Leach? We're all on a little ball of rock called Earth and we're spinning through space at millions of miles an hour. Someday a trapdoor is going to open up under every single one of us and we will fall through it. And either there will be millions and millions of miles of nothing, there will be the deepest darkness, or else there will be the everlasting arms of God, the embrace of the Father who gathers his children into indestructible light. You see, if we haven't got the word, we can have all the world and have nothing. But if we have the word, if we have the Lord Jesus Christ, we can lose all the world and still have everything. What are you living for? Let's just take a moment of quiet to think about that and then we'll pray. Our Father in heaven, please would you help us to recognize the word and to receive him and to know that when we receive him, we have all that he is. Please tune our hearts to adore him now and forever. Amen. Now we're going to sing as we conclude this part of our service. We're going to sing about how in the darkness we were waiting. Didn't have any hope, didn't have anything, but he came came for us, he came for you, and we will praise him forever and ever. So when the musicians are ready, let's stand and sing.